I invite you to open your copy of God's Word today to Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew chapter 16. Uh, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy about looking into the history of our church is it just shows me that uh, I'm part of something much bigger. You too. Uh, all of us, we're part of something that is just much bigger than just us as individuals. Uh, we're part of something that has been going on for 75 years and that will be going on for a lot longer than that as far as this local church. But this local church is part of something that is even bigger than just the, this local church. Uh, it's part of the overall body of Christ. And uh, to me, it's, that is a comforting thought to know uh, that we're not, we're not in this alone. We may seem insignificant as individuals and even as a church, uh, but we're part of something bigger that God is doing. Uh, so I've started this series on the church that really uh, I, I, is, is meant to coincide with our 75th birthday, uh, also with our emphasis on the Go offering uh, and with our emphasis on mission going this, this time of year. Um, but it just, uh, it just follows that when we think about our church that we, we want to think about the church. Um, and last week I asked the question, you know, what comes to your mind whenever you think about the church? And you may think about a building, uh, you may think about an organizational structure, but last week I tried to point out that the important thing, the important way that we should use the word church, the important thing that should come to our mind is that the church is the people. You are the church. This is not the church. You are the church. As individuals and as people collectively, uh, we, we show up and worship with the church. And uh, I offered you a definition last week of what a local church was. Of course, the universal church is all, the, all of God's people of all time periods. Uh, that church hasn't been assembled yet. That church will one day be assembled all together in a location. We get glimpses of it in the book of Revelation whenever we all gather around the throne in heaven. All people from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. But a local church is what you and I on this earth are a part of. We gather together on the Lord's Day with a local church. And I gave you a definition last week of a local church. And it is a group of Jesus followers that unite for worship and mission. A group of Jesus followers that unite for worship and mission. Last week was about mission. Last week we read uh, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. I love the fact that we had a mission team that was gone uh, to, to Romania, led by our missions pastor. As I was up here preaching on mission, they were out doing it. Um, next week, we're going to talk about being a worshiping church. And we're going to look at a very important passage in uh, the book of John. Today, I want to talk to you about what it means to be a well-built church. As you can imagine, I'm not talking about brick and mortar. In fact, I'm not talking about size at all. I want to, I want to look today at, a, at what I hope will be a very familiar passage where Peter said something out loud that I hope that you have spoken in your heart to God. Uh, he's going to give a confession of faith, and Jesus is going to talk about how he's going to build his church upon it. And uh, by the way, the word church is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Almost every New Testament writer and almost every book in the New Testament uses the actual word church. But Jesus was the first one to use it. 
He was the first one to use it. And in all of his talk about the kingdom, he talked about the kingdom all the time. He only used the word church in two instances. One that we're going to read today in Matthew chapter 16 and the other in Matthew chapter 18, which we're not going to look at today. Um, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to read this together. Uh, if you don't mind, let's stand. Matthew chapter 16, uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through verses 20. And uh, we're going to see some incredible things, uh, just very simple things, but, but incredibly stated uh, what Jesus says uh, about church in Matthew chapter 16. Verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these words. God, we thank you for the confession of faith that Peter made. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from it today. I pray that your people would feel your presence and that you would speak to them your word. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, we come to church a lot. I look around the room and I see a lot of the same faces. And more than likely, all of you have been attending church for a long time. Now, you may be here today. You may say, this is the first time I've come to church ever. Or you may say, this is the first time I've come to church in a long time. But many of you, you've been coming to church a long time. And most of us are going to continue to come to church probably until we die because we just think that's what just think that's what we ought to do. I think it's important for us because of that reason because we spend so much time at church. I, see, I caught myself. I told you last week you shouldn't say that. Church is not a place. Church is a people. We spend so much time with church, with the with the church in a church building. I think it's important to see what Jesus said about the church because he did not talk about it that much. He talked about the kingdom a lot, and also in this passage. But he only talks about the church a little bit, and what he says about the church in this passage really gives us his exclusive teaching when it comes to actually using the word church. And there's two metaphors that Jesus uses in this passage. One is rock, and the other is keys. One used to describe a strong, stable platform for building something upon. And one, the key, had to do with access or denial, granting entrance or, or not granting entrance 
into something. And these two metaphors are really the, 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 the key to understanding what Jesus is talking about. First thing I want to point out is that we are a confessional people. Peter made a confession, and this is a pattern for you and I. We are a confessional people. What we believe and what we confess is more important than anything else about us. More important than how we organize a worship service, although I hope that's based upon our confession of faith. More important than how sermons are preached, though I certainly hope uh, that that is patterned about our, uh, through by our confessions. What we confess, and specifically who we believe Jesus is, is more important than anything else about us. Our identity as individuals and any church's identity as a local church has to be founded upon our confession of Jesus' identity and who He is. This past week, I was listening to a short clip of a podcast between two people you've probably heard of, uh, Joe Rogan and uh, Matthew McConaughey. And they were discussing the Bible in general. Uh, well, they were discussing the Bible specifically, uh, but they were, they were discussing Christianity in general, particularly Christianity as it's related to the political atmosphere of our nation and more pointedly in Hollywood. And they had some interesting things to say about, uh, about, about the Bible. And, and I don't want to judge them for their statements. But what I will say is that I could tell that both of them had spent a lot of time thinking about what the Bible is and what the Bible contained. They had spent a lot of time thinking about Christianity and its place within our nation, generally speaking. And, of course, from Matthew McConaughey's perspective, Hollywood specifically. And I could tell they had thought about it. I could tell they had read the Bible. But do you know what was strikingly absent from a 10-minute conversation about the Bible? What was strikingly absent from a 10-minute conversation about Christianity and the Bible was any reference to Jesus. Strikingly absent. And think, I'm sitting think to my mind, it's a completely gutless conversation. It has, it has, it has no substance to it. If there's, if there's no mention of Jesus, we show up and sing songs, and I tell you a little bit about this and that from the Bible, no mention of Jesus, no substance. We sing some songs that don't contain the gospel, there's, there's no substance. But I'm going to tell you something, whenever we begin to truly center everything that we are upon Christ, that's something that you can build a spiritual life upon. Without that, without this important question of who is Jesus, everything else is just, is just, is just built upon sand. And that's the question that was started with. You know, who is, who is Jesus? And, and the apostles, they, they, gave, uh, uh, they gave some interesting answers. They said, well, 
Uh, and I believe it's in verse 13 or 14. They say, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say, you know, you're John the Baptist, come back, you know, King Herod's greatest fear. Others say, oh, no, you're a guy from the Old Testament, you know, maybe uh, Jeremiah or someone like that. The interesting thing about these responses is all of them put Jesus in a human-only category, that he was, just, he, was just, he was just a person, maybe a revered person, a respected person even, but only a person. And I find that today that that's typically how unchristian people think about Jesus. They think, oh, well, he was a, uh, he was a good person, and he said, he said some good things. Or they might even just say, well, he was just kind of a fictional person. I believe there's a third option, a better option, and uh, Peter gave it in such a concise and, and pointed manner. He gave a confession of faith that I just think is a rock-solid church-building confession. A rock-solid confession. A, a confession that a church and your spiritual life can be built upon. Everything else is straw, is straw. He said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That one phrase, that one concise phrase, really contains everything that we could possibly say about the identity of Christ, of, by which our identity and the identity of our church uh, should be placed upon. We believe that Jesus was the eternal Son of God, that He was the creator, sustainer of the universe, that He incarnated Himself in flesh, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life without sin. We believe that he was the promised Messiah and deliverer from the Old Testament that was spoken of uh, by the prophets. We believe that he now stands as our exclusive prophet, priest, and king, and that he reigns as Lord over all, seated at the right hand of God, worthy of all of our praise. He is the only name that is given under heaven by which we might be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father by him, uh, except by him. And we believe that he's going to come back. We believe that he's going to raise us from the dead in the same way that he was raised from the dead. We believe that he's going to gather all of us from, uh, from the four winds and the four corners of the earth and from all times and all tribes and peoples, and he's going to take us to be with him, and we will forever be with the Lord. That is our confession of faith. Not like a little pebble or a little pea grain, but a rock-like confession, a bolder, an immovable confession, something that you can build a spiritual life around something that we can build a church around, and something that Jesus is building his universal church around. Now, Catholics say that when Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, they say that it was referring to Peter, and that Peter became the first pope, and that now these popes and cardinals and priests they mediate the grace of God through the visible church uh, so that you can have a connection with God through the seven sacraments. But I say to you today that this violates our confession of faith. We don't believe that anybody mediates between you and God. This is a doctrine known, here's a, here's a word for you, as sacerdotalism. 
Use that one, have you used that one in conversation lately? That basically means that there's a belief that a pope or a priest, or a lot of Protestants do this too, believe that somehow a pastor or some other designated church leader has been appointed by God to mediate between you and God. Do y'all know that there is nothing special about a pastor? He is a human being. There's nothing special about a, a group of deacons or a board of elders or some overseers. I know you might have your favorites, and I know that you might think that somehow some super pastor out there is closer to God than you are, and he might be, but not because he's a pastor, not because he holds some type of position in the church. God hears your prayers in the same way that he hears my prayers as long as they are accurate and biblical and prayed in Jesus' name. I've prayed some bad prayers before, and God hadn't listened. And simultaneously, there have been Christians that have played good, prayed good prayers and been blessed by God. No, we believe that all believers have access to God. We call this the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, which means Christ is your mediator, granting you direct access to God. And that happens, listen, that happens at the moment that you make a true confession of faith just like Peter did. That happens whenever you have a true confession of faith that's not just, not, not just a confession, an intellectual confession that says, oh, yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus. Not just a verbal confession that speaks it out loud, although whenever people are baptized, we ask them to speak it out loud, but a true confession of the heart. When you have this confession, it is a life-shaping confession. It is a life-altering confession. It is a rock of confession that God can build a spiritual life around. That's because this confession is a divine confession. It's not something that we've just made up. That's what Jesus told Peter. Jesus told Peter, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Jesus told Peter that somebody didn't just make this up in their mind. Jesus told Peter that you didn't just kind of come up with this on your own. He said there's something going on in your heart. There's something taking place inside of you. God has revealed this to you. This is the evidence that something divinely inspired is happening inside of a person whenever they have a rock-solid confession at the core of their bones that Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to live for him, and I'm going to tell other people about him. Jesus said he's going to build his church around this confession. How many of you like to build things? You know, I like to try to build things from time to time. I'm not good at it. I got tools, uh, but I need, to, I need to learn to use them a little, uh, a little bit better. But I like, I like kind of piddling around sometimes and uh, trying, to, trying to build various things. You know, how you build something is really important. Just ask someone who builds houses, uh, someone who, who builds buildings. What you build it upon is the most important thing as to whether or not that structure is going to stay there and is going to remain forever. And there are some bad ways to build a house or to build a structure. In the same way, there's some bad ways to build a church. Some really bad ways. And, uh, and here's, a, here's a list of bad things 
to build a church upon. Personality, pastor worship, or Christian leader worship. Um, building a church around, uh, around the personality of one person. Um, how about this vision? This has been a big thing in the past 30 years. I cannot tell you how many books on church strategy and vision that I have read in the past 30 years. And one day, you're, one day y'all are going to drive past this back parking lot, and I'm going to have a good old-fashioned book burning. Because I'm not so sure that any of them have really done me a whole lot of good. And what's happened over the past 30 years, you would have some pastor who had some strategy or had some vision in some city in some faraway place that no one's ever been, and the church would go really, really big, and they'd say, oh, here's how I did it, and they would write a book. And it seemed like there came out one a week. And, I mean, you just get pulled in every direction. Well, which you do it like this. Some people do it like that. Some people do it this way. Jesus didn't say he would build church around vision. We don't want personalities to replace the gospel. We don't want pursuing a vision to replace the, God, the gospel. We don't want some idea of success, of bigness. You know, that's, that's the big thing. How's, is your church growing? Is it getting bigger? Well, listen, if we wanted to get bigger, all we'd have to do is hand out $100 bills to everyone when they walked in the door. And then we would get really, really big. But here's the problem. Whatever you win them with is what, you ha- what you're going to win people to. If we win them to a personality, you got to keep giving them the personality. you got to keep giving them the vision. you got to keep giving them the success. Some people want to build church around cultural trends, uh, various things that come out in culture where we say, hey, we're just like all of you except we love Jesus. Come over here. We're just like you. No, we're not. We're different. The Bible says we're aliens and strangers in this world and that we're never really going to be accepted. Nationalism. Listen to me. You cannot build a church around partisan politics. You can't do it. Jesus didn't even try it. In fact, he ran the other direction from it. Secondary doctrines. I think we're going to get to heaven one day, and he's going to look at the Baptists, and he's going to look at the Methodists, and he's going to say, did y'all really fight over the amount of water to use in baptism? Now look, obviously we think we're right. That's why we're Baptists, right? But I think God's going to get to heaven today, and he's going to look at us, And he's going to look at the Pentecostals, and he's going to say, did y'all really fight over speaking in tongues? Is that really what what y'all got so violently opposed to each other about? And then prosperity. Now, this is a pet peeve of mine right here. Uh, We see a lot of prosperity gospel preachers, and those churches are getting large, and those churches are getting famous. But the problem is, is a lot of times they're, they're void of Christ. Jesus said that he, Jesus didn't say he was going to use any of that to build his church. Jesus looked at Peter, and he, after he made a confession of faith, and he said, now that's what I'm going to build my church around. He didn't say he could build a church around it. He didn't say he's thinking about building a church around it. He said that he will build his church around it. And any local church or individual Christian that wants to be well-built needs to join Jesus 
and how he is building his church. And it is through a confession of faith. And Jesus said, listen, all these things come and go. Jesus said something about a, a, a church that is built around this confession that would prevail. He said in verse, uh, uh, in verse 18, he said, on this rock I will build my church. And he said the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Now, normally we think about, okay, as Christians, we're going to be a good church and we're going to huddle within our walls and nothing's going to get to us. We're going to be behind gates. But this is not saying these are gates that we build. The, what does a gate do? A gate is meant to block. A gate is meant to keep, keep something out. What Jesus is saying here, we get the image and the vision of a church on the move that is taking over the globe with the gospel, and Jesus saying, nothing's going to stop it. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the movement of his church. Jesus told some parables about this, the parable of the mustard seed and all types of parables about how the church is going to grow. And I've said this before, just read the book of Revelation. At the end of time, we're still here. I mean, how does that happen? When you take Christians as a whole and you look at Christians over the last 2,000 years, we've had very little money, we've had very little political influence, we've had very little protection. I mean, we have literally been like sheep among wolves. And it seems like Jesus told us that we would be that way. He says, I'm, 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 I'm sending you out just like you're, you're just fragile birds, that you're just, you're just gentle sheep. But somehow we're still here. Somehow the gates of hell have not prevailed against us. We see the gospel being spread and churches being started and Christians cropping up all over the globe. And sometimes we can't explain how it happened. And when it really happens and when, when God really does something awesome, it's like no human being can take credit for it. No human being can sit back and say, oh, I had a good strategy and vision for that. Here's my book if you want to do it also. It's like God just does it. God just protects us. He preserves us. And I may die, you may die, this church may fall in, but Christians will always be here. As long as there is a spirit that moves, and as long as there is a people who confess Jesus as Lord, we will always be a force to be reckoned with in this world. Oh, I don't have time to talk about the keys. Man, this last one. Kingdom access. Man, if, if, if Andy's music wasn't always so long, I could, uh, I, could, I could preach long. That's what I tell everybody. When the service runs long, Andy's music was, was so long, right? The keys. Oh, this is such a good metaphor. I knew when I prepped this sermon, I was like, I'm just not going to really have time to talk about this second metaphor of kingdom access. Now, if, if, if the rock metaphor... Is, is a foundation, a confession of faith that forms a rock of foundation that we, we as individuals build a spiritual life off of, that a local church as a confessional people builds a church off of. And if Jesus said, I am building my church off of, if, 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 the, if the rock is, is that which is built off of, then the keys talk about access into something, right? So I've got a little, I got a little key card, 
All right, I keep it in my wallet, and I'm just like, beep, and I can like, you know, get key card access into, into our church building. And um, do you know I am the only one that has key card access to the church building? Did you know that? Just me. Nobody else has it. If you want to get into the building, you got to come ask me. Now, y'all know that's not true, right? You know that a lot of people have key access to the building. This is why it baffles me um, that uh, some Christians believe that when it... See, I'm getting into it, and I don't have time. Some Christians believe that Jesus is telling Peter, I'm giving you the keys. And uh, so Peter became this pope. And then the next pope that comes along, then the, the keys were passed. Listen, there's all kinds of people that have key cards access to get into our church. And guess what? When you make a confession of faith, you get to hold the keys too. When you make a confession of faith in Christ, you don't necessarily get some kind of key card access to a local church because we don't just hand those out to anybody and everybody. You get access to the kingdom. Now, this is the interesting thing that we see here is that Jesus, you know, he talks about the church. He talks about how the church is going to be built. And then he goes right to, back to the kingdom. The kingdom was Jesus' favorite subject. It was the fa- his favorite thing that he talked about. He talked about seek first the kingdom. He told parables of the kingdom. Um, he, ta- he said you have to be born again if you want to see the kingdom. He told you and I that we're citizens of the kingdom. He said the kingdom was of great value, um, but it can't be bought with money. All these things that Jesus says about the kingdom, I mean, it, literally in almost all of his teachings, he talks about the kingdom. Everything was about the kingdom. And Jesus told Peter on his confession, he said, you will have the keys to all of it. And I don't believe that he was just talking to Peter. I think he was talking to all of us. When we make a confession of faith, we get full access to the king, to the kingdom, to all of the blessings that he has promised and has bestowed upon us. And all it takes... All it takes is that simple confession of faith. That simple confession of faith where we say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is not something that you do in your mind. It's not just something that you do with your lips. This has to be a rock-solid heart confession deep down inside of you that you believe in your bones. And how do, you know if that, how do you know if that's happening? How, how do you know if you've made that confession? Because Jesus is building your life around it. And you are joining him in that effort to build your life around that confession of faith. You see, people who are truly Christians, they're just, they're just preoccupied with Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. I mean, their whole life is just shaped around that confession of faith, around Jesus. If you want Jesus to build something incredible in your life, it starts with that simple confession of faith. And as soon as it happens, as soon as you're born again, as soon as you make that, make that confession, I believe that Jesus says, here are the keys. You have access. And you know what else? You have the power to grant other people access too. When you share your confession of faith, 
When you tell other people about Jesus and give them an opportunity to also make your confession of faith with their heart, believe in their heart, and confess with their mouth that Jesus becomes Lord. As, as you share the gospel, this is what this whole binding and loosening in, in earth and on heaven is about. You make a confession of faith and have access to God, and then you take, you take those keys to other people. And you share your confession of faith. And you share the gospel. And you open wide the door for them. And you grant them access as they make a confession of faith. And then hopefully the cycle just just continues. And we have more and more people that confess Jesus as Lord. And our work's not done until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to ask you to make that confession today if you hadn't. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. I want to ask you to make that confession. Have you received Jesus as Savior? Have you called upon His name? Have you made a confession of faith? Do you truly know that, that, that you're born again? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it just it can't just be something intellectual. It can't just be something to where I say, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And you say, yes. It has to be a life-altering, deep-in-your-bones confession that you believe above and above everything. Something that you are literally building your life around and that Jesus is constructing a spiritual life around in your life. Nothing else will do. What are you building your life around? Is it Christ? Or something else. You take a few moments to pray about that. You can come to the altar and kneel if you would like to pray. And then Pastor Andy is going to lead us in a song.